to minister unto the saints. Let's read on down. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia. Now, Macedonia and Achaia are regions of Roman colonies. It's, and so, Achaia is primarily the Grecian colonies, which we'll talk about in a little while, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. So, this is not necessarily ministry giving. This is benevolent giving slash missions giving to a degree. Benevolent slash missions giving, which are at Jerusalem, 27 verse let's read on down it hath pleased them verily and their debtors they are for if the gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things so the apostle paul is ministering to these gentile churches and he's saying that these jewish churches in jerusalem that are really going through a difficult time now they were because jerusalem was a a a, a hotbed of conflict Come on, not only from, from the early Christians and the Jews, but the Jews and the Romans especially. And so the Christians in Jerusalem were struggling. And so he said it's, it's the duty of the Gentiles to minister unto these Jewish uh, brothers. Did you know of your missions giving to uh, those increments go to help support Jewish ministries? One is called Jacob's Hope, where we just provide benevolent food and gifts to Jewish people in Israel. In other words, it's ministering to the Jewish people for the purpose of evangelization. So we're continuing. Are y'all hearing me that excited? We're continuing to do what Paul said we need to do right here, minister unto the Jews, the 28th verse. It says, when therefore I have performed this and sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. So as Paul writes, he said, my intention is to come see you after I go to Jerusalem and deliver this offering to them. Let's read in 1 Corinthians now. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, now concerning the collection for the saints. And that's what he's talking about. Same offering, not yet received. This is him writing to the churches of Achaia, which is the region of Greece, the, the, the Grecian churches at Corinth. Now concerning this collection, I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do you as well. Paul said, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay up by him in store as God hath prospered him. That there be no gatherings when I come. Paul didn't want to deal with it when he came. He wanted people making a mindful decision in advance. That's why even just to borrow that a little bit, I don't want to try to coerce you every week into giving to missions. I want you to take the card home, pray about it, and then set uh, some type of precedence in your heart of how you can help us help missions. That there'll be no gatherings when I come, and when I come, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem now when you look at that piece of paper that I encourage you to take or that was in the bulletin you'll see that your missions giving is helping take the gospel not just to Jerusalem but it's helping take the gospel all around the world I'm just thankful to be a part of it I want you to be mission minded I want you to believe that God has called you to do more than just sit on that seat here at first assembly every Sunday Hear a sermon and go out and not be a part of something that's dynamic, something impacting, something that's life-altering. You are helping change the lives of men and women around the world by your faithfulness and giving. So let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for this awesome time that we have together. Would you breathe upon us the breath of the Holy Spirit and let preaching come easy in this house today, oh God. I thank you for your word and I ask that you quicken it and make it alive in our spirits. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen and amen. Now before we go in just a moment of time, we're going to go to 2 
uh, Corinthians 8 and 9, and we're going to look at a couple of principles just very, very carefully today. And we're going, I'm going to expose to you first some motivation that I believe the Apostle Paul listed in Scripture to help us find motivation. I sometimes need motivation to do something. I don't just like make New Year's resolution. I've got to be motivated. I need a carrot in front of me that I am in pursuit of. Something that stirs me and motivates me. Something that moves me. And Paul gives us certain things in Scripture that should motivate us. But before we do, in the context of just giving, it's giving in general to the church. As I've told you, it's a controversial subject. Created great contention. Not everybody, even under the sound of my voice, agrees. First, I'll just address the excuses that we have all probably made at one time or the other concerning giving to the church. Number one is a lack of money. And I know there are times we have more money than in others, but I ask myself the question, typically it's not the amount of money in my life, it's how I'm managing the money. All right now, and I'll also ask this question, do you go out to eat? If you go out to eat, then you can never say, I didn't have resources to be able to help in missions or giving to the church. Because going out to eat is an excess, not a need. And if you just said, I'll set aside one meal a month of going out to eat, you could make a difference in missions. Uh-oh, let me just move on today. We got visitors here. They didn't know a nice church like us might be as direct as this. Number two, but I feel it. It just hit me right then. And some say, well, I don't believe in ministry support. I don't believe in like churches or buildings that the church, you know, in the early church, they didn't have a building. Well, I ask you this question. Why are you here? Uh-oh, did I, is that in my notes? Would I write things that, like that? I guess I did. You know, just a little way I pinned it that way. I guess you do believe in it at some level. You just want somebody else to pay for it. Or let me move on down. Let's go a little further. All should be given to the poor. Somebody said, these are, well, I think it should all be given to the poor. Well, that's what Judas said. Because he had the bag and he wanted to steal something out of the bag. And so Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. And as often as you want to do something, you can give to the poor. But let me say this. Giving to the poor is not always the answer. Just not another government program or another ministry of the church because just giving to the poor does not combat the curse of poverty in the life of someone. The curse of poverty originates in sin. And until you get the antidote for sin which is the blood of Jesus and a revelation of who God is and what he came to accomplish through the cross, then all we're doing is just feeding the cycle of brokenness. So that's not, that's your excuse, but it's, in my personal opinion, it's a lame excuse. The reality is a lot of pastors slash evangelists extort their flocks. They take advantage of their flocks. Well, we don't. We don't. We are a church that handles these things very carefully, lest we bruise the people of God. You don't get fleeced at first assembly. You may get corrected, and every now and then the rod may tap you on the head just a little bit. But it's not in an angry or a, 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 an abusive way. And so I think we have to push out some of them, push beyond some of the excuses. And so I, in my own life, I look for motivation. I was reading in first, 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8 is the prelude to 2 Corinthians 9, which went into the context of what happens when you do give. Paul addressed some things that would help the churches of Achaia find motivation in their giving. Find motivation in our giving. We started going to the gym one day a week as a staff just to try, you know, why are we doing it? Because 
Because we've gotten fat. That's why we, because we're trying to lose with something. I don't know. We need something to motivate us. We need something, you know. And so in the kingdom of God, you need something that says, why don't you do this? Find your motivation point right here. As I was meditating upon this, I saw what Paul used to motivate the church at Corinth. It was not extortion. It was not abusive, but it was the truth. The truth motivates me. I hope it motivates you as well. Let me just give you, I noticed five things quickly, just nuggets that Paul used. And I'll notice, I want you to notice the, the absence of something in a moment. Notice what Paul said, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. They're not going to put this on the screen, but he said, he said, We do you wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, listen to this, and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of the liberality. What he said was, you're in Achaia, the region of Achaia. That was the southern region. Then Macedonia was the northern region. And so what he's saying is that those, that particular area, they gave sacrificially even when they were going through difficult times. So in essence, what he was saying, don't make excuses. He's saying there's really no excuse. He said because these folks were going through a down economic turn, they were going through a crisis, they still found a way to participate. So we got to be very careful not to look at all that's around us and say, I can't participate. You can participate if you'll step out in faith and align yourself accordingly. Number two, notice this. I mentioned this two weeks ago. I want to draw your attention to it. The seventh verse of the eighth chapter, I think they are going to put that on the screen. I love this passage of Scripture because he said, Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, and in utterance, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Look what Paul said. He said, you're growing as a Christian. You're becoming a well-rounded, mature believer. You're learning to function. You know the scriptures. You speak in other tongues. You have faith. You're trusting God for miracles. Abound in all these other areas. And he said, oh, you need to abound in this area called giving as well. It's not enough just to be a worshiper. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Can't wait for Shane to call you down forward or, or, or to be responsive in service or to say amen just at the right time. Come on. God said, I want you to go to the next level in the area of your giving. It's not enough just to abound in these areas. Let's go down. You're real quiet. Number three, to prove the sincerity of your love. Eighth verse, eighth chapter. Paul said, I'm not saying this by commandment, but I am creating this opportunity to prove your love. There are moments in our life when we have to prove our love for both God and for his people. And remember what John said? John said, don't just tell people that are in need that you love them and not give them any resource to help them if it's within your power to help them. So there are occasional moments in your Christian life when you are confronted with the sincerity of who you are, the sincerity of your love and your faith before God is going to be proven and challenged, and sometimes God proves it in our giving. Come on, as they say, put your money where... Now let's move on down. Number four, to fulfill a promise. 8th chapter, 11th verse. He said, perform the doing of it. It's easy to promise. It's easy to fill that card out. It's easy to come to the front and put it, the card in an empty container with nothing attached to it. But it's going to take discipline and it's going to take faith and it's going to take diligence to fulfill the promise. That's how you're going to have to challenge yourself. And that motivates me because I don't want to be found a liar. I don't want to be found a hypocrite. I don't want to be found presumptuous. If I make a promise or a vow, I want to do everything in my power to fulfill that. 
obligation that I committed to. And lastly, now the reason why I mention these, I just noticed that Paul, Paul is not someone that creates extortion in the church. He's not abusing the church. He's an apostle that cares for the development of the church. But he used these particular principles as a sense of motivation. We need motivation in our lives to move into a new level of giving. I want to see First Assembly go to a whole new level of giving because I know what happens. Listen, when people get benevolent and get missions-minded and become, uh, you know, where we just, just say, God, I'm going to trust you. We begin to step out in faith and give. I'm telling you, God shows out. and sh Come on, somebody. He does. He shows up and shows out in our lives, and he does miraculous things that only he can do on our behalf. So I know what the end of this can be if we'll just catch hold of it in the right vein. Lastly, Paul used this as a motivation. Eighth chapter, ninth verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And so what Paul said in this particular reference, he said somebody needs to look at Jesus. Somebody says, I'm going to sacrifice and give him good because he sacrificed he gave up all the glory, the royalty, come on, all the grace and the goodness and the holiness of heaven to shroud himself in like precious blood as we are made like unto us and to die on a cross, come on, and give us blood so that we could have access to God's goodness. So it should move us and motivate us. Notice, notice the absence of something. If you have read 2 Corinthians 8 at any time in the last couple of weeks since I've been preaching out of it, you know that this is an offering that's being taken to go to the saints at Jerusalem, the poor saints at Jerusalem. But notice, there is no reference to anyone in crisis. There's no reference or description of a widow, no description, no description of a, 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 a family that's in particular need. There's no picture. There's not a starving child. There's not anything. Paul didn't choose to use that for you to find motivation. Paul chose to give you spiritual principles that when they get down in your spirit, that even when you're not looking in a magazine and get moved by the face of a starving child in Ethiopia, you're moved by a conviction that's deeply embedded in your spirit. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And whether you're up or down, high or low, you'll find a way to participate because it's a principle that you learn to live by. My God, that's good preaching right there. So let me just share with you today before we close and before I pass out our faith promise cards. The apostle then transitioned in the ninth chapter to the law of sowing and reaping. And he rehearsed it, principles that I've taught from in the past. But I've been moved in my spirit as I have rehearsed them in my own mind. Because I stand before you today, church family, twofold. I'm your pastor. I'm a, the leader of this fellowship. I want to be responsible for our church going to new heights. Sacrificially in our giving. But also at the same time, I'm also a member of the fellowship. Sherry and I have to search our heart and mind. What can we do to do more? What can we do to participate in the giving just like everybody else? I'm not here preaching to you, asking you to do something that I've been unwilling to do myself. But I want to be somebody that takes these matters to heart, and I hope you do as well. I believe in the law of sowing and reaping. Verses 1 through 5, 
Well, let's read this very quickly. We're just going to, as we expound, 15 verses. I'm going to give you a light commentary, and then we're going to close. We're going to let the Scriptures preach better than the pastor. Verse 1 is, as touching the ministry to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. There's really no need for me to write to you. It's pretty obvious, the apostle said. For I know the forwardness of your mind. I know that you have the intention. He already referenced that in the 8th chapter. He said, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia that Achaia, north central, that northern area. So for us, it's north central Arkansas. Paul was writing this to the churches of Arkansas. He would say, I know the good folks in Heber Springs. They've been ready for a year ago and your zeal has provoked others. Other people heard about their zeal. He said, yet I have sent the brethren lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, you may be ready. Now remember in 1 Corinthians 16, he said, start taking this up each week. Start receiving the way we're going to do ours once a month. We'll do our faith promise. We'll ask you to give at that moment that you designate a portion of your offering towards missions. But it is not a compulsion. It is not us trying to manipulate you. It is you prayerfully participating in something that is as old as the church itself, missions giving. Come on, that's good right there, church family. As old as the church itself, as old as the church at Corinth, he said, I'm sending these brothers, let these the offerings be taken on a weekly basis. So that he said, when I do come, verse 4, he said, you would not, you would not be ashamed in this same, or I wouldn't be ashamed. I find you unprepared and you're not able to give, so I'm telling you in advance. So therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren. Notice this, that they would go before unto you. This is the fifth verse of 2 Corinthians 9, and make up beforehand your bounty. So I'm doing what the apostle asked others to do 2,000 years ago. I've spent the last three weeks developing a sermon series. I spent the last several weeks studying and looking at principles of giving. I've studied and I've looked at where money is going and resources is going. I've been looking at the efforts of the assemblies of God so that I could stand before you with a clear conscience. So let's go on down further so that it would be ready as a matter of bounty and not of covetousness. I don't want to be found guilty of standing before God and one day all my works that I pastored first assembly for 13 years would suddenly burn up because God said you manipulated my my flock that you coerced them to do something that they were not ready to respond to I don't want to be found guilty before God of creating covetousness in the house of God what I want to be found guilty of is teaching a biblical principle that I believe that the biblical principle supersedes time and location and place and who we are and where we are it's in the word of God and it's in your heart it'll work no matter where you are that I could take these principles right here to, the, to where, you know, people live in the dumps outside of Manila in the Philippines. People live, make their living going out, live right there on the grounds that we could go there today. And I could look at those impoverished people and I could say, you know what? Our God is a God of more than enough. We have a God that watches over us. And if we set our hearts to these principles, these principles will release his blessing in our lives. And I believe that I could go with confidence that it doesn't matter where I am, but the principle will work even when, come on somebody, if we'll just grasp hold of the truth. So Paul is setting the stage for what I'm about to tell you. Sixth verse, let's look at it and read it together. He said, but this I say. So Paul is about to introduce, but this I say. He's about to introduce the law of sowing and reaping. Here's the principle. Abundant harvest is conditional upon abundant sowing. There's not a person here Someone asked me, Brother Keith asked me this morning uh, in the fall year, he said, have you prepped your garden site yet? 
And I said, no, I hadn't had time to do it as of yet. There's not a person here that goes to a parcel of land and thinks that you're going to take tomatoes and corn and you're going to take okra and you're going to take squash that sometime in the middle of the summer it's going to just start growing and you didn't prepare the soil or sow any seed. Not a single person. Paul takes us in giving and puts us in that context. It is a context of sowing and reaping. Abundant harvest is conditional upon abundant sowing. Sixth verse. He which soweth sparingly shall also... Come on. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. That's a truth in the word of God that supersedes even... Even the epistles that Paul is writing, Paul is sharing these are ancient truths tied to the nature of who God is. God said in the book of Genesis, he said, as long as the earth remains, there'll be seed time and harvest. As long as the earth remains, there'll be winter and summer. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest. It's in the church. It supersedes the church. As long as the earth remains, if we sow abundantly, then we have the confidence that we will one day reap abundantly. Come on, because God is able. Let's go down and say, well, how's that going to happen? First of all, where does it start? It starts when you purpose in your own heart to give. You have to determine. I can't determine it for you. Your spouse can't determine it for you. And your mom and daddy can't determine it. You have to determine this based upon your convictions to the Word of God. You have to purpose in your heart. And as you purpose in your heart, notice what he said, you begin to become a giver. Not just to a one-time offering. I believe giving becomes a way of life. When it becomes a part of who you are, you will alter. You will alter things so that you can participate in offerings. You will let go of certain things because you know that an offering is going to be taken up. And you, will, don't, you don't want to be left out. You don't want to be left out of sowing your seed. Because if you don't sow your seed, then you don't have anything that promises a return in your life. Does that make sense today? But notice what Paul said. He said, I want this to be so worked out in your heart that you come to peace with this. I find a lot of people in the church, they are not at peace with this. Giving, it just, it just twists them all up. And you can't even talk about it. I don't think that's the way God wants us to be. I, want, I believe he wants us to be at the place where you have settled it in your heart, you purpose in your heart, and you know that God's given you seed to sow, and you're happy about it. Amen. Let's read that right there. He said, God loveth what? A cheerful giver. Isn't that exciting? Did you know that in the original language, the Greek language of the scriptures, that word that, uh, cheerful actually is hilaros? from which we get the English equivalent of hilarious. Man, can you think about that? Can you think about what giving should be? Come on, every Sunday, here's a basket. We ought to be coming down to the front. I mean, and the world looks at us, and it is hilarious to them because we're giving some out of abundance and some giving out of need. We're given to support missions. We're given to support the work of this church. People are looking at you, and they're asking, how can you afford to do that? You say, because my God shall supply, that'll put a dance on your head. My God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Come on, he is Jehovah Jireh. He's the God of more than enough, not just enough. He makes me above and not below. Come on, somebody. God is a God of well to do. God can make your life, give you resources and strength. All sufficiency is contained in who he is. And when I learn these principles, it changes the way that I give. I don't give begrudgingly. I don't give because I feel coerced or manipulated 
manipulated. I give in joy. Come on, somebody. That's what we're looking for. It's a deeply woven spiritual principle to who Christ is and what he's done in your life. Where does this joy come from? Look at this. Eighth verse. Because God is able to make all grace abound towards you. I believe the eighth verse is the law of reciprocation. Look at this. You become a cheerful giver, a habitually cheerful giver, God will make grace abound to your life. Have you ever thrown a boomerang? The boomerang, in essence, you throw it here, and then it comes back to you. The Old Testament said that if you sow upon the waters, after many days, it's going to come back to you. The law of reciprocation. Here, the passage of Scripture says that if you become a cheerful giver, look what God will do in your life. He will make all grace. Let me read that to you in the, another translation rather than the King James in the Amplified. I know I'm going a long time. I can't apologize. Please let me finish. The Amplified Bible says this, God is able to make all grace. Every favor and earthly blessing can come to you in abundance. That means just when I need it, God will show up. Just when I'm at that moment where I'm beyond myself, God will show up in my life. He will make all grace abound, and he won't just come uh, in just a little bit. He'll come in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient, you will possess enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. What it means is God will take you from being a recipient of benevolent giving to one who participates in benevolent giving. Because you now suddenly have the awareness that God gives resources into your life so that you can be blessed to be a blessing. That's what the passage is teaching. And it gives you a faith. All grace doesn't come back to us just in financial blessings. All grace is a confidence that when I'm going through crisis, God's going to lead me through it. All grace is a confidence that when I'm sick, he's my healer. All grace is a confidence when my children began to slip away and began to go down a wayward path. I call upon the name of God and the Holy Ghost begins to work when I can't work and begins to bring them back. Come on, somebody. All grace is when the, the, when the, the job got shipped out overseas and I, I lost my job. I, I may have lost my job, but I didn't lo lose my source of provision. God is my provider and he'll make a way for me. All grace is a peace that I can pillow my head every night and trust that God is for me and if he is for me, he is not against me. All grace knits my heart together with my spouse. All grace gives me confidence to be able to approach God in love and in humility. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? All grace is not just monetary blessing. Come on, somebody. I'm, I, just because you give in the church doesn't mean you're going to be the Powerball winner. Come on, somebody. Doesn't mean. But what it means is that God has his favor upon my life. That's what it means. I've got favor. And when I've got favor, I don't know about you, I've got confidence. And I believe confidence is something that we need. Confidence to know that I am loved of God. Confidence to know that he has favored my life. And that God will make all things work together for my good. Come on, somebody. Because he loves me and I love God. Come on, God will always give you the ability to give. That's what that passage said. I want to close quickly. Let's say, it's verse 9. And so this is you now. This becomes you. When you become a hilarious giver, a cheerful giver, then it says this is who you become. You have dispersed abroad. You have given. You've shared. You've sown. You've given to the poor, and it will be a righteousness that remains. Come on. Number 10. Let's move on before we close. 
I'm going to finish even if you have to leave. It may just be me and Sherry, but we're going to get to the end. But let's read this. This is that verse that I talk about so often. You got to let me take a moment to talk to you about it before I close. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower will minister bread for your food and he will multiply your seed sown and he will increase the fruits of your righteousness. Let me say this to you. This is from my notes real quickly. From your seed comes bread to eat. From your seed comes multiplication into more seed. If seed is sown, it can multiply. If seed is consumed, it is gone. A portion of your harvest, your harvest is your next paycheck. A, par, a portion is whatever blessing God puts in your life. A portion of your harvest should always be seed. Come on, that's good right there. Come on, I, I'm from Wilburn and I figured that out. A portion of my harvest should always be seed. Now, in the, today's time, when people plant their, their, their gardens in the summer or in the spring, we go to Walmart and we buy new seed. But in the old days... You took the seed from your harvest. So you went to the field, your corn had grown. You didn't just consume all the corn. You set aside a portion of the corn to replant. If we would learn that principle in our life with every harvest, inside the harvest is a seed. So if I'll separate that seed, you know they tell you in, in, finance, in the financial world, every portion of your paycheck, there should be a small portion set aside the savings. I understand, I believe that. That's good stewardship. But they don't understand this principle, but you and I do. Every portion, in every portion, there should be a, every harvest should be a portion of seed. Let me quote to you before I close today. Say, Pastor, you said that three times. That just makes you believe it. <laughs> or doubt it, one or the other. Depends upon which way you want to look at that. But in that passage of Scripture, I always think back to Psalm 126. And I, I've said this before, but it's a powerful passage. It's that passage of Scripture that says, He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed with him, shall come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, we used to sing about it in the old church, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, we shall go rejoicing, bringing in. Come on, did y'all know that's where it came from, Psalm 126? But the history of the psalm is this. Israel had been captured in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. They were let go, and they didn't have much. They got back, and their fields had been tattered and left barren for all these years. They had just enough seed. They had to make some hard decisions. We can eat the seed, or we can plant the seed. And when you eat the seed, and that's all the seed you got, you don't have anything left. But when you're sowing the seed, that's an act of faith. And that's why it was precious seed, and they wept as they sowed it. Because that's when the child said, Mom, what do I, I don't know. We just got to trust God. I don't know where the next meal's come from. But we just know we got to sow this seed. He said, by faith, if you sow your seed, you'll come day. there'll come a day you'll come back and you'll rejoice bearing your seed with you. Come on, somebody. Amen. Daryl, join me on the platform. Time won't allow me. I've got to wrap things up real quickly today. You'll be enriched, 11th verse. You'll be enriched. God will make your life blessed in all things and in every way. Verses 11 and 12, paraphrase, your giving will affect the needs of others. Your giving 
will affect the needs of others, their want or their lack, and it will cause those who have received of you to rejoice and to give God thanks. Verse 13 said that they will glorify God for your faithfulness. Now think about this. Paul was writing to a particular need, the poor saints of Jerusalem. He said it would be a bountiful gift, and when I disperse it amongst them, the people there at Jerusalem will rejoice before God. See, we don't get to see that. You help take the gospel to Africa, to India. You help take the gospel to young ladies that are in Russellville today who were bound by addictions and they didn't know where to go and somebody said you can go to Teen Challenge Russellville. You help provide a meal for them. You provide a home for them. You don't get to see oftentimes their transformations. But did you know as they come to faith, they rejoice before God? And that's what Paul is writing in those last 3 and 13 and 14th and 15th verse. He's saying, if you could only see, if you could only see the effects of your giving. The reality is we won't see most of the effects of our giving on this side of eternity. We're just going to have to trust God. That somewhere there's an African who perhaps was a Muslim until an AG missionary led him to Christ. Come on now, and now he doesn't worship Allah, he worships Jehovah. Come on, somebody, amen, amen. And we may not see them with our natural eye, but we're going to trust that somebody is giving God thanks because somebody sent a missionary or somebody ministered to me in a very special way. And one of the last things that he said in that vein, he said, and they'll begin to pray for you. Isn't that exciting that people are praying for us that we don't even know? You know, we built a church in India several years ago. I'm sure that that little lady in Honduras, she's never seen most of you. She's seen the bearded worship leader right here. But she's, and so she thinks we all have beards. She's not seen most of you, but now she lives in a house that you provided. I guarantee you that she's praying for you. That's the law of reciprocation that's contained in giving. I just want us to do all that we can do, church family. I'm going to ask you to stand up. It's 12.07. I've been preaching for about 40 minutes. Dylan's got some of these here. I want to ask you to do something. I had a story that I was going to read to you from the Assembly of God Missions, but I'm not going to. It's not about stories. It's about faith, principles. It's about commitment. I feel as your pastor that I... I I didn't affect giving the way that I could have because of the way we were doing it. You need to feel this because from this sacrifice that you make could come the promise of reward, number one, become the awareness that you are truly impacting the lives of other people around the world. Now, the Assemblies of God has a lot of fault. You can find fault with any denomination. I do. I find fault with... this denomination that I love and I'm so thankful to be a part of but I deeply appreciate the effort for missions people just like me and you give their lives to take the gospel around the world I want to ask you to do something with me today this is a little bit different I know we have visitors here today and this is we don't do this every week I want to ask you to come forward if you can. If you have to leave, there'll be an usher at the back. He'll have a, a faith promise card. Take it. 